Welcome, live and direct, from Studio C with Christina Nicole and Georgie D, all the way from the big island of sunny California, IA. I'm George. And I'm Christina Nicole. And together, we are George Stina. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Right Beside You, as we do life right beside each other. While sometimes agreeing, sometimes disagreeing, but ultimately meeting meeting in in the the middle. middle. Because at the end of the day, I'm not above you. I'm not below you. I'm I'm right right beside beside you. Cheers. Another episode of your favorite podcast, the Right Beside You podcast, where we do life right beside each other. I am here with my beautiful, lovely, smell good co-host and fiance, Christina Nicole. How you doing today? Hey, hey, hey. I'm doing great. I'm excited because today... Joining us is an amazing superwoman. Not only is she a licensed clinical social worker, she is the founder of Spirited by Truth, a private practice located right here in Ontario, California, where she provides education, community, support for women to assist in their fight towards a healthier birth and relationship outcomes. She specializes in perinatal mental health and also narcissistic abuse recovery. Basically, she is passionate about all things womanhood. With more than 17 years of experience in the field, here to talk about her personal journey and the importance of mental health, please help me welcome to this show, Alexandra Samuel Sturgis. What's good, family? What's up? What's happening? I am happy to be here to talk about all things mental health. Ooh, and Lord, do we need it. Don't we? Yes, the state of the world, we need to talk about it. Mm. Yeah, I think mental health is a is a big topic right now Mm -hmm. and a lot of people need some uh mental exercise Mm -hmm. he's preaching he's preaching so alexandra or can i call you alex (laughs) just look just let's keep it simple let's keep it classy just call me alex all right all right so can i call you al (laughs) no (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) so you are a licensed clinical social worker First off, can you explain what that even is and what led you or called you to this profession? Okay, so a licensed clinical social worker basically is someone who has been trained in all things psychology and have pretty much gone through the same steps as um, any other psychotherapist doing this type of work. But we as social workers do our work from a strength-based perspective. So Mm -hmm. we really take the time to look at um, the person and environment and also assess what is this individual's strength. Mm -hmm. So regardless of uh, what they are experiencing, we're trying to sort through the difficulties and really pull those strengths out of the client in Mm -hmm. order to be able to utilize those strengths in their healing journey. So I think that is the thing that separates social work for many other professions is we do have a social justice advocacy uh, component of our ethics Mm. as well as very much so being straight based Mm. so that is my short edited version of what it is to be a licensed clinical social worker because we do wear many many hats Mm. I like that I like that you focus on the individual strengths of a person yeah, it's a, it's important for them to know that regardless of 
you know, what they're experiencing, all of us have certain gifts and abilities Mm -hmm. and strength that can help harness resiliency. So, um, and then the second, because I don't want to skip the second part of the question, Mm -hmm. which is, is what led me to Mm -hmm. the profession? And, you know, this is, this is the story time. All right. Mm. Everyone loves a good story. Gather around the fire. (laughs) Gather around. Come on, kids. Um, well, with this, you know, I know now it's clear now that this, you know, what I'm doing in my profession has is, is clear now to me that the calling was from from God. Mm. And as a kid, I was always fascinated with health and wellness. Like my mom would buy me all things anatomy and physiology. Mm. Like I was really focused on the functionality of the body. Gotcha. And I also, at the same time, was very drawn to helping people. I loved reading books about, you know, resiliency. Like, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with those um, chicken, what was it, chicken soup for the soul? Yes. Yes. I, yes. I love those stories. Same. Of how people have, have gone from, you know, the, the deepest part of woe in their life to mm. being able to achieve and have, um, that resiliency and understand the power of the human spirit. So, mm. you know, in high school, uh, I was one of those kids. Our high school in particular had a training program to mm. become a conflict manager and a peer counselor. Mm. So I took the classes and, you know, at first I became a conflict manager and a peer counselor just to get out of class. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good because excuse. We, because we didn't have, you know, we had, you know, oh, there's a conflict in the school. We need the peer counselor. Mm-hmm. And so we would get pulled out of class and we had to work with our peers who were having beef over, you know, oh, you trying to take my boyfriend or, oh, these two dudes, they don't like each other. They're fighting over a girl. And so mm-hmm. we would be called out of class to... You know, it was their way of, you know, having that community connection within the high school and not having to go to, like, the dean of discipline to handle stuff. So we would help peers solve their problems. And then, you know, fast forward, here I am in the mental health field serving Mm -hmm. my community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, social work can go a lot of different ways. And I chose mental health because there's so much uh, depth to the mind and strength of the mind and it's very intriguing to me so I enjoy helping folks remove those barriers and get to their best self possible Ooh, that's beautiful and yeah. sometimes it does take someone else to you know point out your your strengths point out and highlight what your strengths are as my mama Ooh. would say, it's hard to see the picture when you're sitting inside the frame. Mm, preach. Hey, come on, mama. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. And that's pretty dope that they would have peer-to-peer like conflict resolution so you could be more relatable. Because sometimes mm-hmm. if it's like the principal or the dean, you're like, bro, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my struggle. Yeah. Right, right. Because we're all teenagers exactly. at the time. We all are dealing with hormones. We're all Mm -hmm. dealing with hating. You know, every teenager, they don't like their parents. They think their parents are unfair and unruly. Mm. And so it was a great opportunity just, and I met a lot of people. Like, like, oh, yeah, that's the one who helped me. That's why you didn't get beat up. (laughs) (laughs) I went and talked to Alex. She kind of worked through my mind and stuff. (laughs) You know, that's why you're here. But you know what? Friendships would come out of it because it was about finding, you know, those similarities. Because mm. people, more, people have more in common than they think. Yes. Yes and yes. That's so yeah. true. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about your decision to open up your own private practice and what drove you away from I don't know, your your stability of a J-O-B in that nine to five. Oh, man. I have like 500 reasons why, but I'll keep it <laughs> short for the sake of this. <laughs> you know, what I can say about, uh, let's say, community mental health is, of course, it has its pros. It has, 
you know, a lot of people get healed from the community mm. um, through big government agencies yeah. or even nonprofit um, community mental health. But for me, um, it was really hard with the level of the caseloads mm. and the ability to actually um, provide the care that people really, really need. Because when you're looking at caseloads of, you know, 60 plus mm. um, clients, and you only have so many hours in a day, uh, it's really hard to make sure that people are meeting um, those goals. And what is important, not only in those community mental health settings, is productivity. Mm. So productivity then becomes more important than the care. Mm. And it's, it's just about hitting that number to keep, you know, to keep your job. And a lot of people... Um, may not know that, that therapists who are working in these agencies, some of them are under a lot of stress because if you don't, if you're not hitting those numbers, Mm. then there's going to be a consequence for that. So for me, I wanted to do it my way. I didn't want to, I didn't want to deal with the bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted to have a small enough caseload to be able to be present and be able to provide people with the best care I can possibly give them. So that kind of swayed me from showing up to the nine to five and really taking that chance and that risk of starting my own private practice and just doing it my way, you know? Yeah. So with that, did you find that it was challenging to leave the stability in your sick time and vacation time? Or was the need to be able to really make a difference, was that really what drove you and everything else was just going to fall where it may? I did not have, my whole mindset when I even went into my master's program was I'm going to have my own business. Because I already knew what it was like to work for a bureaucracy. So once I got my license, honestly, I was out. I was like, (laughs) you know, that whole time I was in prayer and putting my faith in God Mm -hmm. and understanding that I understand, you know, understanding that I know what my calling is. And if I, if I am doing and living out God's purpose for my life, Mm -hmm. then I don't have anything to worry about. Like if if I'm sick, (laughs) I'm just sick. The mm. good thing is I don't have to call anyone and tell them I'm sick. Ooh, I don't have to, boss. <laughs> you know, I don't have to request it. And then I don't have to find coverage. And then, you know, there's a whole stress that comes in with just calling off of work. So for mm-hmm. me, it was very easy to put that notice in at my last employer and walk in faith. It was very easy for me to do that. Wow, that's beautiful. I definitely can relate with the whole healthcare field and just feeling like it's the quantity of patients or cases versus the Mm -hmm. quality. Yeah, definitely Mm -hmm. that that rat race will, and it's just never-ending. Right, right. The thing that happens with, let's say, people who are meeting with their primary care physician, Mm -hmm. the same thing is happening with the mental health staff, just numbers, just numbers, not really. And, and for me, I like to take time, read over my paperwork, know who my client is prior to them coming in because, you know, you can see your doctor three times and, mm. and they act like they don't. This is the first time they ever seen you. Oh, mm. preach. That, that just <laughs> happened to me uh, yesterday. I, I went in for a physical. And I'd already had a consultation with this guy. And, and he's like, nice to meet yeah, you. <laughs> seriously, at the end of the thing, he's all, okay, nice to meet you. I'm like, bro. I, I seen you last I, week. I, I was here two weeks ago. Like, I, I, right. And right. everybody there was like that. Wow. Um, so do you have any advice for people that are trying to start their own private practice or go into business for themselves? I would say just do it. Mm. I think that People spend too much time overthinking, wondering, oh, am I going to, you know, am I going to be able to support my family? I'm gonna be, am I going to be able to, to actually run the business? And I say, if you take the time 
and educate yourself uh, on the business aspect because you do have to know business, then just do it. Because mm. either way, the goal is to better the community. The goal is to help people. Mm. The how you do it doesn't really <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Mm. Just as long as you're making that choice. So don't overthink it. Just do it. Get your hours. Get your license. Do your homework on what it is to start a business. Pay people who are knowledgeable in, in business mm-hmm. and, and understand what it is to run a private practice and mm-hmm. just do it. And let me tell you, it is so much more freeing Ooh. than having a hundred. A lot of people are still on charts like mm-hmm. paper. They have a hundred and something charts, and you don't even know who these people are. Mm. And there's and there's still people being placed in you know in your file cabinet or emails being sent mm. about new clients, and you don't you don't get the individual time that you want to. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. That that is so true. Cause sometimes it just feels as a patient or a client like you're just a number you know what I mean you don't really even get to know you don't build that rapport with your uh, clinician you know and it's like how can you really even truly help me or get to the bottom of my issues or whatever the case may be if you don't even know me mm-hmm. you, yeah, you, you, yeah you it's don't know my feeling. name sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's a very invisible feeling for sure. Absolutely. Mm, okay. Well, I actually want to transition into one of your specialties, and that's perinatal mental health. And I want to talk specifically. I know this is a difficult, a difficult topic, but perinatal loss. I want to talk about perinatal loss, and are some of these deaths in the first week of life are they sometimes avoidable can you maybe shed some light on that so are just so i'm clear on the question mm-hmm. the in regards to perinatal loss mm-hmm. and let's say are, are you talking about first trimester things that that may happen in the in the loss of a child Oh, see, see, now this is your, your, mm. your field of expertise, <laughs> wherever you want to go with it. I, I ain't had no okay. kids. I, I'm basically like giving, throwing the ball in your court. Cause said, I don't have no kids. I, I, got, I ain't got no kids. <laughs> I don't have any kids either, but I, I just want to know, I want to spread the word because we do hear, you know, as you know, I work in a pathology lab and, and in the morgue and there are times where, you know, there are spontaneous abortions or miscarriages and it's definitely not a rarity and there are spontaneous abortions that occur in about 15 to 20 percent of all recognized pregnancies and I know what you're saying because it usually takes place before the 13th week of pregnancy Mm -hmm. but then leading fast forwarding a little bit and within that first week of a baby being born there's also I don't know if they're avoidable deaths. Like, I don't know if it's handling the baby in a wrong Mm -hmm. way. It's just not knowing or the education. So I kind of want to dig deep in both so that we, we, we spread the word so we can prevent things like this happening, you know? Well, I would say you could do a whole series on perinatal loss Mm. for the, for the sake of this, Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to first trimester Mm -hmm. and understanding what, is taking place during that time. Mm-hmm. It's a very critical time for a woman. Um, a lot of women, they won't even say anything to mm-hmm. their family until they're in their second trimester because it's so critical that those first uh, three months. Yeah. And so as far as avoidable, we know that miscarriages happen and sometimes they happen unknowingly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they, the doctors cannot identify the why. We just know that it happened. Now, if it comes down to whether or not a doctor feels a child is viable, Mm. then that's a whole other conversation because I have had 
a client who, you know, the doctor said, well, we don't, we don't think that this child is going to be viable. So mm. we need to go ahead and, you know, perform whatever procedure at DNC, or mm. sometimes they send um, women home to abort their child. Mm. So it just depends on the situation, um, right. whether or not these things can be avoidable or not. I would say when it comes to any doctor saying whether or not a child is considered to be viable or not, mm-hmm. take time yeah. to think about that before going ahead and making those decisions. Mm-hmm. Seek a second opinion mm-hmm. if you need to, uh, but don't feel pressured to have to make that decision right then and there. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've had moms I've worked with who the doctor has told them, you know, this, this child is inviolable and, mm. you know, they make the decision to proceed with their pregnancy and the child, you know, is like six months now. Ooh, so look at God. It, it just depends on what the situation is. Definitely not being afraid to advocate for yourself. Cause mm. I do think when people are in front of doctors, they think the doctors are the, the, the be all know all. Yeah. And, you know, they, they trust them. As they should, because doctors do take an oath to make sure that they're properly caring for their patient. Mm -hmm. But second opinion is always great. Um, And being able to ask questions and not being afraid to ask questions and being able to advocate for yourself and knowing all options before making any particular decision is important. Mm. Now, that's with, with, you know, during the pregnancy. Now, if we're talking about the first year of a baby's life, which is very critical, mm. we know that sudden infant death sh- syndrome is a real thing. Ooh, sometimes, sometimes babies do die, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, and in the highest rate in the black community. Now, mm. what studies are showing is a lot when it comes to ethnic minority communities a lot of it has to do with education so a lot of people are doing old school methods that do not work and can cause harm to an infant for example old school way mom dad you guys are in the bed you're mm. all warm you got your duvet you got your you know goose down blanket <laughs> and then <laughs> then you put the baby in the middle Oof. yes there's a possibility of that baby being suffocated, laying the baby flat to put the baby to sleep, Mm. possibility of the baby suffocating, Um, putting a baby, I know you spend all that money, the crib looks great, it has all the pillows, it has all the teddy bears, but all of that stuff needs to be removed Mm. prior Mm. to putting the baby in the crib. And some people do not have this education or they're listening to, you know, the elders in their family who do not have the education in regards to safe planning mm. when it comes to avoiding SIDS and these things are being done and unfortunately infants die. Mm. So I have yeah. a, I, I was going to say, I have a question that's kind of adjacent to what you said as far as it happening more in the, I guess the black community. Do you find and have you seen where uh, black people in general are not necessarily mistreated, but are treated differently by medical professionals because there are these old school beliefs of black people don't feel pain the same way or just some of those old school beliefs? Do you see that in the medical field in your experience? Uh, Absolutely. I think that. Um, ethnicity or being a black American definitely has, let's say, a, when, when doctors sometimes their own hidden biases can allow them for, you know, to not properly treat any patient mm-hmm. depending on what their biases are, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to uh, working with black women and hearing their stories of number one, it's already bad enough. Women in general feel Mm -hmm. that they're not heard by their physicians. And then you start breaking it down to communities of color Mm -hmm. and you will see that that number is exacerbated. 
And so when it comes to the information, are the doctors providing this information to uh, black women or women and women of color? I would say no. And I, Mm -hmm. and, and to pinpoint and say, well, is it actually because 100% they're black? Well, of course, I don't have that research or that number. But mm-hmm. what I can say is the information is not hitting the black community as it may be hitting um, the counter of the white community. Mm-hmm. So th- that information, for some reason, is not penetrating and getting into the community. And these old ways of doing things mm-hmm. are definitely impacting um, the success of black infant births. Mm. Wow, that's unfortunate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and so part of my work is, you know, I work with black infant health here. California actually has a black infant health program mm. and pretty much all the counties in California and working alongside of them and educating these black mothers yes. on these particular topics because... If if they're not seeking it out on their own, mm-hmm. guess what? The doctor only has about ten minutes to see you, and then he has Woo! to see he or she has to see someone mm. else. So if you're not coming into and I and I also like to empower clients and not make them victims and right. getting them ready and organized for their appointments to be able to have these questions answered because it is still even though the doctor may say, oh, I got ten minutes. Mm-hmm. The, that last part of that that checkup, do you have any questions? They're required to answer those questions. Doesn't matter how long it takes. So if if I am you know working with the mom, I try to make sure that they have the questions already in hand so that yes. they can advocate for themselves. And now things look very different with with COVID because now mm-hmm. you can't bring mom, husband, you know, whatever family member Mm. in to kind of help push the conversation. Most of the time, mom has to be in there by herself. See, I love that because I know personally when I'm sitting in that doctor's office and this has nothing to do with uh, childbirth or anything, it could be my toe. I feel rushed through the appointment Mm -hmm. and when they ask, do you have any further questions? I feel like they really don't mean it. So no, they, don't. they don't. They're like, all right, do you have any further questions? They're already halfway out the door. Right, right. They got their clipboard. Yeah, like when, with your wrist. Yeah, with my wrist. It's like you, you're you already in your office thinking about your next appointment or what you're going to mm-hmm. have for lunch. And I mean, this is just my personal experience, but... I'm asking the doctor, all right, so what can I lift? How many pounds? And they're like, oh, well. He's steady moonwalking out the yeah, room. Yeah, he, he's already right. on to the next call. So I love that you right. empower the, these women and actually, I don't know if you sit down with them and write some questions down so oh, that yeah. they're prepared. I love that. I think that's yeah, super so important. You have to be prepared. And actually, um, on my website, I even list, just some basic questions because most women who get pregnant, they mm-hmm. don't even know what a healthy pregnancy diet is. And mm-hmm. so that that is why we will see, especially in communities of color, we will yeah. see high numbers of gestational hypotension and gestational diabetes because they don't, they're eating how they would eat. And then you have, mm. let's say, sort of the old school myths of like, oh, you're eating for two. And then if you're pregnant mm. with twins, oh, you're eating for three. And then that extreme weight gain definitely puts um, strain on the pregnancy mm. as well as the health of the mother. So education is so important when it comes to uh, the, the, the life of a pregnancy mm-hmm. as well as that first year, that postpartum year to yeah. see success. Mm, absolutely. I, I think as far as the grief counseling aspect, I know there's never anything that you can say that's perfect. And oftentimes people may find themselves at a loss for words, but what what do you say or what could you recommend saying to someone having gone through that situation or something 
as painful emotionally and physically as the loss of their child or a baby? I would say what is important is is less about what you can say, mm. but more important of what you can do. Mm. So what that would look like is instead of trying to figure out what is the right thing to say, because there is no right thing mm. that you can say to a woman who has experienced that deep type of perinatal loss and it's trauma mm -hmm. essentially but to listen that is more important wow the most important thing you can do is to listen because there's a lot of uh, things that the mother who has experienced that loss might not feel safe mm -hmm. to be able to say without judgment so i think it's more about the doing if, if you do not have an ear to listen then just what would you do for a friend that you already know is grieving. You know, you don't have to have a whole conversation about bringing a meal. Just bring it. Right. You know, like you don't have to have a whole conversation about, you know, whether uh, her home needs to be cleaned, whether she has other children. You, you see it. You know that there is a need. So it's more about action versus feeling like you need to have the right thing to say because most people think they're saying the right thing mm. and they're actually causing more harm versus if they would just listen, show empathy. Mm. And, it, and the most important thing is instilling hope. Mm. And what hope looks like for women who have had this experience is just being present mm. and showing up. That is hope for them. Wow. That, that's actually extremely important because oftentimes, sometimes going through tragedy or something that's happening, you do feel alone. And just to have someone listen to you mm -hmm. is so simple, but a lot of people do overlook it. And I do appreciate that light that you just shed because we can't overlook that simple task of just reaching out and listening to someone, you know? Right. And being okay with silence. Because mm. sometimes if you show up, your girlfriend just had loss, just to be able to sit mm -hmm. and be comfortable with the discomfort of silence. Mm. But I'm telling you, just sitting there and being present is more powerful than you trying to figure out, like, hey, girl, how you doing? Well, how you think she doing? <laughs> you know? Like, right. <laughs> Oh, girl, what's up? Like, how you been? Like, you are, like, come on. Like, what you mean? <laughs> what, what do you mean? And and so sometimes the person who experienced the loss feels like they have to please other people. Ooh. Like, oh, I don't want to make everybody feel sad. Mm. I don't want people worrying about me. So let me fake it. Right. Let me, let me act like this tragedy didn't happen to me. And I say, if you're going to be, if you have someone you love who's experienced perinatal loss, be comfortable with sitting and being a support to someone in silence or mm. being able to listen with, with take the judgment off mm -hmm. and let them say what they need to say. Mm. And, and, and that's it. And, and empathize and understand what that person may be feeling and don't feel like you always have to say something. Mm. That's true. And don't say the words I understand because if you've never gone through it or experienced it, how you going to understand? <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. You, you, and, and guess what? Even if you did experience it, you it's still. still not the same story. Mm -hmm. Right? Because each person is different. That's true. Each person's experience is different. We don't know if this woman has, you know, lost her mother, father, mm. husband, and baby. You know, repeated loss. So no one's situation is the same. Is, is, is the same. Mm. So, you know, uh, when family members are just, they try, they really do. But I say, instead of trying with your words, try with your actions. Mm. That, that's a that, that's a gem right there. That's a gem. We gonna have to uh, uh, don't try with your words. That. Try with your actions. I'm I'm using that. So, 
we're gonna we're gonna shift gears a little bit. Okay. All right. Some of the other issues you work with are depression and anxiety, adjusting to parenthood, life transitions and changing changes, codependency recovery, relationship problems, job stress, trauma and PTSD, self esteem and self image, and self love. So we are always bombarded nowadays with self-love talk about facials and massages and Sunday self-care day, hashtag selfie, hashtag got toes out for the sand, toes out for the ground. True, true. <laughs> what does self-love really look like from a mental health standpoint? Yeah, that's important. Well, God, these questions are so good. These these all make great series. Oh, well, God. yeah, Christina wrote the questions this week, so. <laughs> well, we just gonna we just gonna dabble in them, and then we gonna we take them the next time. We gonna go full okay. full deep. It's it's all good. I think mainstream media makes you know self love and and even mm. you know you hear a lot about self care is mm-hmm. like <laughs> painting your toes, like you said, or. <laughs> you know, going to get a facial and you know, those things are important as well. But I would say self love is, is choosing yourself sometimes. Mm. Self love is loving yourself enough to walk away from toxic relationships. Ooh, preach. Self love sometimes is making that phone call because you have had very traumatic events that have taken place in your life and now it's time for you to actually work through those things Mm -hmm. to actually take part and be present for your own healing journey i think those aspects of self-love learning how to have compassion for Mm -hmm. yourself and recognizing your own suffering is self-love versus you know going to get a massage i mean that's great too but those are all temporary fixes Mm. to what for some may become a permanent existence Mm. wow that's so true because sometimes you're not truly healing if you're just like going through the superficial uh motions of quote-unquote self-love like are you truly getting to the, the the problem and the ugly are you really facing the issues that you have, whether it's childhood trauma, you know? Right. And the outfit's not going to fit that. The J's are not going to fit that. I'm sorry. So well, retail therapy don't hey, work? Hey, hey, don't sleep on no. the J's. Don't sleep on the J's. Look, I will say this. The J's might be nice on your feet, but they that that is not going to heal the soul. So, uh, hey, oh, but what about the soul? Oh, gosh, it'll, it'll heal the soul of, of your foot, <laughs> but not the soul of your spirit. Let me be clear. Oh, she's okay. preaching. <laughs> okay, say, you know, self love, and I know people tend to think it's a one time occurrence, but it's actually. It's a daily practice because mm-hmm. we live in a very difficult world, yes. a very challenging world. Mm-hmm. And if you do not take the time to develop a healthy self-love practice for yourself, I mean, this world can be very vicious. Mm. And so you, you're setting yourself up for failure to be, you know, eaten up by right. the chaos of this world. So self-love is not a one-time occurrence that mm. will happen within your life is something that you have to make time for yeah and it is definitely something you have to practice daily and there's a lot of people who think because they cute Mm. that they oh i got self-love my hair done Mm -hmm. i got my nails did that's not self-love that's vanity there's a big difference but if if i strip all that down then what's left of you oh that that just hit hit it hit it heartstring right there because i think it is true that you have to be intentional about it mm-hmm. you know and for me i think another aspect of self-love is also just setting boundaries with other people like all right Absolutely. i'm not i'm not gonna pick up this phone call because i already know that's gonna put me in a negative 
a mindset or that's going to mess up with my energy, my positive energy that I got going on right now. And I love how you said it's choosing yourself because sometimes we, a lot of times actually, we put our families, our friends, everyone, we, we, we try to put, we put them before us. And, mm-hmm. and that's, we got to change that. You feel me? We do. Well, and, and society will say you're being selfish. Mm. Society will say, well, why are you, you know, why are you spending this time being intentional, meditating, learning to mm. love yourself? That's selfish. You need to be doing this or you need to be doing that. And I'll say, you're not going to last long. Mm. You're not going to last long if you focus in on everyone else and you're not taking the time to focus on you. Because how are you pulling, pouring from an empty cup? You have, you, you, you have to be able to take time to refill. And if you're not refilling and you're over there running on <laughs> E, mm. well, what's going to happen? You're eventually going to break down. And, and I see that a lot, especially in women. Mm. It's just running themselves to the ground and hoping that, you know, they, they'll receive some accolades or validation from that. And I don't think that's a healthy existence. Mm. So I know that there's this word and I don't even know if a lot of people can truly define it, but it's called codependency. And would you say that someone who's codependent and talking about self-love is self-love deficient? So the the question, just so I'm understanding, mm-hmm. is is the underlying factor of someone who is experiencing codependency traits is due to having self-love deficiency, correct? Yes. Okay, and I would say yes. Okay. Because codependents tend to find themselves in relationships, and those relationships could be with family, mm. they could be with friends, they could be with partners mm-hmm. where they provide an unconditional amount of love, respect, and care, mm. even though they're in relationships with people who are not reciprocating that same amount of love, respect, and care. Ooh. And they tend to, because of the codependency, so codependency is outward validation. So they're doing these things in order to stabilize their own self-worth mm. and their validation in, through their productivity. Mm. So by being the, the person who does everything for everybody and you're trying to make yourself feel good and feel validated and feel worthy through mm. what you can produce for those people, at the end of that, they still feel empty mm. and they still have that void. And that void is their inability at that time to be able to love themselves and understand regardless of what you're producing, you are still valuable Mm. and you still are worthy regardless of what you can do for someone else. And I think that, you know, the codependency recovery, I mean, at, at the root of it Mm -hmm. usually is, attachment trauma which is a whole nother conversation Mm. the core of it is shame Mm. and you know the loneliness is what keeps them in these type of relationships and the goal with working with these women uh, because I work with women Mm -hmm. is getting them to the self-love abundance where they're not tying themselves into these relationships that are not mutual Mm. and not reciprocated that's a big word, reciprocity, because uh, a lot of times, I don't know if it's just growing up and you're in a, a relationship and you think you're in love, but... I love him. I, yeah, I love him. <laughs> and you, you know something ain't right. Like, this may right. be a toxic relationship. I don't know, but what's, what is love? What's a good relationship, you know? But my mom and my dad and my cousin, they're all telling me, that boy, he don't love you. He don't do nothing for you. That ain't. <laughs> that man ain't. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, George said it. <laughs> uh, so what, like, say you had a little cousin or something who's going, staying in a relationship and they're, they're in this type of codependent 
relationship or toxic relationship, what what would you say to them or suggest? Well, I think, you know, I would definitely suggest them get help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> that, would be the, that would be the first, like, you know, going to your friends or, hey, it might even be you. You might be sitting, if someone's listening, they're like, you know what? Yeah, I've been feeling like this This has been an unbalanced relationship for a long time. Pick up the phone and call someone and get some help because these are not, codependents are not victims of the relationship. They're volunteers and they're participants. Okay. So there are no victims. I think that understanding what a dysfunctional relationship is, because a lot of people don't understand that a dysfunctional relationship is comprised of, of individuals who lack adequate mental or emotional health. Mm. So that's on both sides. Yeah. That's not, that's not just one side. And these, these relationships are characterized by, by frequent conflict, mm-hmm. which often go unresolved. Um, mm. So, it, you know, if you have your girlfriend and it's like, we all, we all have met them. We all know them, family mm-hmm. members, cousins, friends. Mm-hmm. And it's the same frequent conflict mm-hmm. with their dude or their lady. Right. And never, there is never any resolve. Mm-hmm. So these dysfunctional relationships and these partners, they, they lack the ability and are unmotivated or powerless to interact with each other in a positive, you know, empathetic and affirming manner. So mm-hmm. they often interact with each other in a manner that is harmful and destructive Yeah. To, to both parties. So the dysfunctional relationship, the partners are typically unable to communicate in a manner that can facilitate effective problem solving. And so, so you'll see that, that cycle yeah. going and going and going, and there's never any resolution. It's always like, man, uh, this dude or this female or whatever terms they're using. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> in, in, other, in, in other terms, you know, I've heard it all. Right. Okay, some are not made for podcasts. Right. But that shows that that you know that lack of adequate mental or emotional health because to be in a healthy relationship you got to have healthy mental and emotional health and most people are running around and they don't know they're sick mm, ain't that the truth i think that's true because sometimes it's 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 all they know or it's mm-hmm. it's what they saw from either their parents or their friends and they're like I don't, you know this is normal this is the normal for us to be breaking up one minute and then back together another minute or you know this is what is cool this is what Cardi B does with Offset and this is what's right. on TV and right. he, he just buys me a new car like that's not that's sure, not you, reality you, you, you take it back to the 70s Every time I turn around, back in love again. Right. Hey, you know, this, this ain't a new story. No, it's not. And I think uh, with pop culture, like you mentioned, Cardi B. Yes. You have the love and hip hop, the, the housewives. Ugh. All of those relationships are dysfunctional. Mm. And when people have grown up mm-hmm. in environments where they have a parent or parents who are both equally, you know, dysfunctional in their own right. Yes, it does become normalized and you become attracted to the dysfunction. So then you're creating, this stuff is generational. This stuff doesn't happen just out of the blue because the parents experienced that dysfunction because if they hadn't, they wouldn't be with somebody who's dysfunctional. So if you are emotionally healthy, mentally, as well as emotionally, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be attracted to somebody who is going to call you out your name. Yeah. Who's going to put their hands on you. Mm -hmm. You know, who's going to... You know, steal, lie. You're not going to be attracted. That's going to be cheat. (laughs) All of that. All of that. Because you would be like, ooh, no. mm -mm." Like, you was cute and all, but I'm out. Because 
that type because you're emotionally and mentally healthy enough mm. to say, nah, this isn't right. Right. But there are women, even though they know that these relationships are unreciprocated because of the pathological loneliness and the fear of it, mm. the fear of being alone, they will stay in those relationships even though it is not serving them. We really need to break these cycles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it starts with getting help because this is not something, as I mentioned before, that attachment trauma, which happens in childhood Mm -hmm. and having to do inner child healing work, because that's what's required. You have to seek professional help. This is not something that you can do by reading self-help books. Mm -hmm. Can can you read a self-help book and go to therapy? Yes. yes. You read your Bible and go to therapy? Yes. yes. Because you're going to need all the all the backup you can get. But uh-huh. you need to be with a trained professional that can do that trauma work because only through that trauma work will you be able to get to the self-love abundance. Mm. There's so many negative connotations around therapy and counseling. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, you, you tell a family member, oh, you... You know, maybe you should seek help. Oh, he he going to a shrink. Right. So what do you, how do you combat those comments? Well, you know, most people who are in my circle, they understand the importance of of mental health Mm -hmm. and getting help. But I think the biggest reason I've heard from, from clients and people that I've just communicated with is, you know, caring too much what other people are going to think. Right. Right. So, oh, you know, if I tell my mom and dad I'm going to therapy, they're going to think they cra- think I'm crazy. They're mm-hmm. going to think, what if they do wrong? Now it becomes about them mm-hmm. and them failing as a parent. And I would say, do you. Right. That's so true. You know, and people don't, you know, I was like, you don't have to shout to the mouth that you're in therapy. No. Because on, Because on our end, we have confidentiality laws that we have to follow. And, of course, there are limitations to those. Um, However, as far as you coming into therapy, um, you know, you doing your appointments, and now because of what we're experiencing in the world, you can do this from your cell phone, iPad, desktop, in your car, in a park, wherever you want to do it. (laughs) In the bathtub. (laughs) In the bathtub. With a glass of wine. I don't want to see you in the bathtub. saying you can pretty much do therapy anywhere today through telehealth and so there really is no excuse now if you feel you need to go tell everyone Mm -hmm. then that's on you but i will say if your family is a family that is not accepting of getting treatment Mm -hmm. that that's going to do uh more harm than good if you have a trusted friend that you just want to say hey yo i'm going to therapy and Mm -hmm. they're able to support you in that you know your friend Right. So if you have those people who can support you in your healing process, great. But usually it is the what will people think? Mm. Because that is usually, you know, it kind of sounds when I get a call, sometimes it sounds like people are hidden away in a closet somewhere. Mm. And I'm like, it's a, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, it's okay. <laughs> because the point is you took a courageous step. Yeah to better you that's what self-love looks like is choosing you regardless of what people are going to say regardless of what people are going to think you chose you and that is the biggest most important thing you can do probably Mm -hmm. in your life is taking that step in in getting to your healing that's beautiful yeah Mm -hmm. one thing i would ask you is do you feel like with popular culture now that there has been a change in that stigma against, um, you know, seeking counseling and seeking mental health because, like, I'm a big fan of the Breakfast Club and they're always talking about mental health on there and advocating for, uh, you know, getting your mental health right. And then also with a lot of the things going on with the, they're talking about defunding the police and and applying uh mental health workers where they would just send out a guy with a gun. Do you think that the mental health conversation that's happening now is, is productive for changing the stigma? I think with 
and I'll answer both part of those of the question, which is I do think the help of, you know, when you have more celebrities and more influencers talking about the positives of mental health, I do think, the, especially for younger, the younger generations, there isn't as much stigma. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side of it is people think therapy is easy. Mm. If that makes sense. So mm. even though you might have a celebrity, I know Taraji P. Henson has come out and talked about being in therapy as well as a, a whole other slew of, of celebrities. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, go get help and take care of your mental health. Mm-hmm. But I would say it is a commitment. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like therapy is on trend. Yeah. Mm. Right? So it's on trend. But people are forgetting the part that is actual work. Mm. Okay. Okay, so even though it's on trend and that's great, you have more people entering into getting mental health services. I think readiness Mm. is also equally as important because you're not going to get the help that you need if you don't have the readiness to do the work. Mm. And so what you'll see is a lot of folks coming into therapy and that's great you took that courageous step mm-hmm. you're in here but now when it's time to practice insight mm-hmm. awareness you know do homework show up for appointments you know and be present for yourself then you start seeing people taper off so what would be beneficial is people telling the truth about the experience because it's not easy You have Mm. to go through the pain to get to the healing. And Mm. so with that being said, yes, thankful for culture changing because let's say, I mean, even my mom who's in her 70s, Mm. she is pro-mental health. She understands the importance of it. Depending on the generation depends on how they're going to feel about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty much an individualized feel because there might be young people like, man, I ain't crazy. I ain't going to see no shrink. I ain't telling nobody my stories, you know. Yeah. And then when it comes to, you know, defunding the police and sending out, you know, let's say a clinician to answer a call, that's a whole nother conversation, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to the safety of the clinician. Mm-hmm. Right. Because police the number one incident where police are being killed is domestic violence disputes Mm. and so that's a whole nother conversation about does it make sense if this is the number one thing Mm -hmm. killing police officers that have bulletproof vests right training guns training Mm -hmm. all of that and you think sending in a social worker is the answer Mm -mm. I would say we need to come back to the table yeah I agree 100% see I I think it's good to hear a different perspective on that too yeah because you know if it's a situation let's say for someone who um, is, is clearly homeless and clearly may have mental health issues and Mm -hmm. they're dealing with schizophrenia and they're not at risk of harming themselves or others and you want to just have someone come out maybe connect them to services you know things like that okay because there's already social workers doing that Mm -hmm. there's already social workers who who are on are connected to Skid Row in Los Angeles that do that type of work Mm -hmm. now does it make sense if that same a uh, homeless person who is acting out violently towards other people to send a social worker or a mental health professional in, well, once again, that's a whole other conversation. Ooh. So, I, look, I'll say this. It wouldn't be me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, send someone else first and let me know how it went, yeah. then tag me in right. later. Right, right. I'll be over here. You know, I've worked with women who have been in domestic violence situations. Mm. And let me tell you, those those situations are fit for police officers. Right. And that's my own personal opinion. Mm. Because whoever is the person doing the abuse, then clearly they are not stable. Right. And I don't know about, you know, 
and and maybe you'll do another conversation with another therapist. But I don't, I, I ain't got time to be restraining. And and I'm not fighting no man. How right? About that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like that's out of my scope of practice. That's out of my scope. <laughs> no. Wow. That's not, that's not for me. But maybe there is. Maybe there's some social workers who's down for the cause, and they like, yes, let's do it. Hey, maybe we should get some hybrid, you know, police officers slash social workers who have <laughs> those skills and cross train. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Mike, he done turned his life over. Right. He done, he done turned his life over. He got to, you know, he he doing things differently, folks. Hey. Mike Tyson. Send them in. <laughs> send them in. And you can and, and I'm guaranteeing you can send them in and without a gun and he will come out with the woman. Wow. And you want and you won't know where the man is. That's funny. I got <laughs> you know Mike. what? The work that you're doing, Alexandra, and with Spirited by Truth is so incredibly important. And honestly, just with these conversations, it's so just refreshing to hear the words that you're speaking so much life into not only us, but our listeners. And in closing, we just want to kind of talk about what are some of your future endeavors and some of your, one of your newest ventures is called the Self Courage Project. Can you enlighten us a little bit about the Self Courage Project? Uh, well, the Self Courage Project, our mission is to cultivate healing and foster mm. resiliency and strengthen communities. Mm. Uh, what we're seeing is a full example, live and in effect, of complete breakdown of our communities nationwide, mm. uh, where there is a problem in the community. Our goal is to encourage people to get out and be the change that they want to see in the world mm-hmm. with all of, you know, the, the, the political atmosphere that we've experienced in the past year yeah. and people relying on um, these external forces to make change happen within their life. Mm-hmm. We want folks to activate courage and understand that they are the solution to what is going on in their communities. Mm-hmm. And also understanding through working on yourself, mm-hmm. healing what you need to heal, that creates and opens up so much space to love and give to other people. And so the platform pretty much is going to be about all these different uh, topics that are impacting our communities across the nation and ways that we can come up as the people Mm. to find those particular solutions and and really acting courageously in order to do them. Because most people, they don't think that they have the answer, Mm. but I know that we all have talents and gifts that we yeah. can give to each other. And so that's the the framework of, of what we are trying to do mm-hmm. in the Self-Courage Project is provide education to folks um, on all of these different issues that impact all of us. Because if, if one person in our community is, is hurting, mm-hmm. um, if one person in our community is lacking, guess what? We all are. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's powerful. Mm. I'm so excited for this. And let us know, how can our listeners, how can we get in contact or reach out or maybe an Instagram? Well, uh, you can reach me at www.spiritedbytruth.com. You can email me at hello at spiritedbytruth.com. As well as Instagram at Spirit of Our Truth. And then the same thing for the Self Courage Project at the Self Courage Project on Instagram, as well as the Self Courage Project at gmail.com. So, whatever way you choose to reach me, or you can Google my name. Mm. Google, Google it. it. 
<laughs> Google me, and you'll be able to find me. Google me. Samuel Sturgis, LCSW. Um, and I would love to, to hear from people yes. who may have questions about their mental health journey. Maybe by listening to this podcast and not really, you know, kind of on the fence of, should I do this? Should I reach out to a mental health professional? Feel free to shoot me an email, contact me, and I'll be happy to guide you the best way I can. If you live in the state of California and would like treatment through Spirit of By Truth, you can also reach me through my website. Mm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for just shedding some light and such a dropping some gems not, she's not just shedding light she's dropping yeah, gems you, you dropping knowledge bombs on us so we appreciate your time it's been a pleasure you yeah. are doing such incredible work and it's so important to us and to the community and your message we just want every single person in the world to hear it so thank you so much uh, we definitely appreciate you and we love you Thanks for being on the show. And to all our listeners, thank you once again for listening to another episode of your favorite podcast, the Right Beside You podcast, where we do life right beside each other. Because at the end of the day, I'm not above you. I'm not below you. I'm right right beside you. Congratulations. If you're still listening, that means you made it to the end of this episode. If you want to claim your special prize, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out. Also, follow us on Instagram at right beside you. That's R I G H T B S I D E Y O U for exclusive content, daily stories, and some good laughs. Don't forget to review our podcast if you like what you hear. Even if you hate us, whatever. Let us know.